This is the Singer's Tension Podcast, the podcast by singers for singers. Welcome to the Singer's Tension Podcast. My name is Jordan Erickson, and I'm here today with Andrew Adridge, a baritone arts advocate and also one of the co-founders of Opera InReach. This is essentially a platform that acts as the middleman between interested young people, such as high school students, and mentors across Canada that are opera singers, piano players, stagecraft designers, anyone involved in the opera community. And on the other end, anyone interested can reach out to Opera InReach for help with equity and media resources. So Andrew, tell me more, what is Opera InReach? Why is it important to Canada? Yeah, so Opera InReach is a collective dedicated to examining the civic impact of opera in a modern world. Um, We do this through digital initiatives um, aimed at engaging students, providing an outreach space for companies who can't otherwise do outreach, and searching for a new Canadian identity for opera, one that's more uh, based in equity, diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and justice, and amplifying voices that are historically oppressed in the industry, particularly those of BIPOC nature and our LGBTQ2SIA plus communities. Yeah, it seems like from what I've seen of it, you have uh, all of these mentors now as well. And Mm. are they just in Ontario and Alberta, Manitoba so far in three provinces? So we also have Alberta and yeah, Manitoba and BC. And so BC. we have four oh, okay. projects so far. We're in discussion slowly to understand what it could look like out east, uh, along with in uh, Quebec and Saskatchewan and, and even further. We can move to the territories as well, hopefully, in, in some capacity. As Take over the Yukon. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's about... <laughs> getting as much reach as possible. And we know that that means as many Canadians as possible. And if we can get like the most out of our geographical space and allow for people from BC all the way to Newfoundland and everywhere in between, that's that's our goal, definitely. Are you acting kind of as a midway body to get people interested in opera that are young, like high school age, into integrated into the opera culture as well as the other way around with people who want to put on an opera but don't have the resources to do it is that you kind of fit in the middle there i understand a little bit yeah i think um our initial vision was more about the outreach with high school and middle school students but as we've grown we understood that our role is really one that fills a lot of voids in the industry that present themselves right now for example um We're now partnered with several opera companies to have them provide resources to the students that will be a part of our digital mentorship program, but also to uh, partner with them in a way that we can respond to the need for more equity in the industry, whether that means that we provide them with consultations or they give us resources and whatnot that they're doing with equity as well. And we also now partnered with the University of Toronto and we're looking for more university partnerships uh, where we're offering a course in community engagement and, uh, and equity in a modern world as an artist and like a renewed sense of artistry. So we're really doing the, the work that I think David, my co-founder and I both saw didn't exist as much. We went to you know, music universities. We both were, had our time at uh, different schools, different institutions, and we didn't see the 
the, I think the vital kind of um, aspect of community engagement being taught at a university level are being valued. So that's when we decided let's tackle that. And we know that outreach is usually done by larger companies who have the resources to do so or have young artists. So we said, well, we know that there's going to be community companies that want to do that, which what can we do? Let's provide that basis for them. So we're really looking at different aspects of the industry, all based in kind of this greater outlook, greater desire for equity and more sustainability in the future of our industry. But looking at different aspects and saying, what can we do there? How can we tackle this? What, what can our reach be there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think of smaller opera groups or organizations, I think of Against the Grain or um, there's another one in Toronto where they travel around Canada on bikes and they oh, yeah, do opera. Yeah. yeah, so mm-hmm. these like smaller ones, I think Against the Grain is more on the bigger end of small organizations now because they have more of a persona in the public and they're more well known to the COC and things like this. So mm-hmm. when I look at that, I think, yeah, as a young artist, how do we create number one, a brand for ourselves? We get told that a lot, but then also an interest in the community. So there's awareness. I mean, it's one thing to go on Instagram and post about your show you're doing in Facebook. Of course that's essential work, but there's a lot of in our generation anyways, the maybe response, like, oh, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll go to it, but then you never do. So how Mm -hmm. do you step it up to another level where we really are engaging people and getting them interested in opera? And you feel quite powerless as like an emerging artist coming right out of university, especially in opera, because you most likely you're in a place where you're like, my career is not taking off. You know, I'm still learning. So do I really have a voice to speak out and should I be promoting myself? Like I'm, you know, I'm a small fry. These are the things that go through our heads. So Mm -hmm. I love that you and David were like, there's a problem here with actually having a voice in the public and having community engagement. And how do we fill that? And I think it's bizarre for me how I came into opera. Like I fell asleep with CBC radio playing every night under my pillow and just like, <laughs> I don't know. And then my voice teacher told me I wasn't good at musical theater because my voice was too big. So then, like it was chosen for me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder for people who don't have this like weird introduction to classical music in high school, are there still high school students at the same level um, or a quantity as when we were in high school that are interested mm-hmm. in it. And have you no. noticed anything with your interaction with high schools? Like what is the attitude there? Do people know or like opera? Well, I think that there is still a love for it. You know, um, my partner teaches in an art school right now and, and I can tell when she teaches her students that there's a, there's a genuine love for classical music when you have the exposure to it and when you can see yourself, I think equitably represented in it. The, the problem right now is that you know, across the board, across Canada, we're seeing so many arts programs getting defunded, a lot of money being a source elsewhere, a lot of these programs closing, teachers leaving. And that's really sad. And, and I think that it doesn't, though, take away the desire or the, the interest that students have in, in classical music. I think that what, that's where we kind of saw our role, you know, as an organization. We said, okay, let's, let's fill the void there that's, that's being taken away. Let's really get students interested in it because we all went to those schools. We were all high school students at one point in time and, and realized that we did love it, right? So that I don't think goes away. But if you, if you don't have the, I think, the resources, if you don't have the vision that you can belong in this industry or that it's something that can happen for you, then it will go away. So we really wanted to ensure that um, we could provide that service if that service was was uh, being depleted. From what I understand of my interactions so far with the high school communities, 
um, especially with teachers. They say that they all, all of them have been saying that the students would love to do this. This is something I'm sure that so many of my music classes or my, or my science classes, even because we have sessions that are tailored towards science or my um, drama classes would be interested in exploring more about opera, what's that, it's cool. Um, we, I've gone to some schools and done some singing work with a few colleagues of mine. And every time you sing for them, they're always interested. There's never, there's never a, oh, that's stupid. It's always like, let's, I want to explore more. Tell me more, like, mm -hmm. show me more of this. Even if it's in a goofy way initially, you can tell that there, there's interest. So mm -hmm. I think we're, we're banking on the interest that's already there, but we're providing them with the foundation in which to actually see um, practical implementations of that interest and, and actually be able to, to understand what that interest means and if it can develop into something greater for them. So you guys will go into the school and, and do performance, create an awareness of, hey, this is opera. And if I'm a student in high school and I'm like, oh yeah, I like that classical vibe, then what else does opera in reach offer? What is the role of those mentors for those students? Exactly, yeah. So we will go into the school right now virtually because of COVID and we wanna make sure that we're operating within those parameters. And then we have the option to join our digital mentorship program, which is where our mentors are going to thrive. That will give students seven one-hour sessions uh, in two different streams, either a beginner stream or an intermediate stream, uh, where they and the mentor can figure out, I think, some keys to operatic success in whatever capacity they want. Whether that means I am a grade 12 student, I'm interested in applying to schools next year, can you walk me through the process, can you help me out with some resources, the mentors are there. That could be all the way to, I don't know anything about opera, but I, I might be interested in it. Can we like make a greatest hits album of like some some sopranos or some or like all the greatest Toscas I've ever heard or some <laughs> some opera that I might be interested in hearing? Yeah. You know, the methods are there for that too. It's really going to be tailored toward an, an individual basis, uh, and we really um, we're excited to to be able to do that for students because I, I think that when it comes to an introduction to opera, it's important to, to be able to give them with something that I think they can relate with rather than something juxtaposing or just, just imposing, I think, what we think the career should look like or what we think music education or a vocal lesson should look like. I wanna be able to collaborate with them in a very, I think, equal partnership with them and the mentor and see and develop something together. For students who don't wanna take advantage of that though, we're gonna have a whole YouTube series um, of little videos and clips and interesting facts about opera that we're in development now doing. Um, David Pepper, my co-founder, is really spearheading that initiative. And we're gonna really ensure that we can provide some extra, extra content for the students who we do interact with. They say, maybe I don't wanna do the mentorship program, but I am interested in opera. What else can I do here? That's what that is gonna be. So we're, we're trying to, we're answering that question definitely because we wanna make sure we're not just coming in and giving a limited interaction with the students, but providing something that truly is sustainable and that they can see a pathway to development in. What I love so much about this relationship between mentors, and, and these are people who are singers or, or musicians, are they all singers or some of them are pianists? Some are pianists, some are directors, we have stage managers. Yeah, uh, okay. we're trying to make sure that we have a good pool of opera sector workers. Right, so before I dive into this thought, if I'm a high school student, but I'm actually interested in, st in set design, then I could also connect with your program and maybe get some hands-on experience or mentorship from someone who's done that route as well. Definitely, yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay, so this is my other thought, was that when I was graduating from high school, um, you, you are in a, a mentality of everyone else who's applying for 
um, psychology or health or whatever, where it's just like, oh, I send in my grades and then I guess I'm singing, so I need to do an audition. And I know that U of T is a good school or Vancouver is good, so I just hope I get in there. But if you had that opportunity to talk to someone who's been through university, they would probably say, don't look at the school, look at the voice teacher and the people mm -hmm. on faculty and do mm -hmm. a trial lesson with them and see if you connect because your voice and the way they explain things really need to coincide. And that was something that was never advice given to me. I mean, I only auditioned at one school and, mm -hmm. and I really wish that someone had been like, maybe you should do a trial lesson with like a few of these teachers and see. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I think the, the, the gap that's missing right now you know we have i think if you're with a voice teacher you have that experience but they're from you know previous generations maybe the things have changed maybe the times have changed maybe there's a different environment or culture around singing in a university or going to a school or like, you know continuing your education we want um our mentors to really be teaching from a teaching artist kind of perspective which is one of their experience informing their teaching decisions not necessarily you know you have all the pedagogical tools you don't have you know, you don't have to be a licensed or studied voice teacher to be able to be a mentor with us. It's about being able to provide what you can, because mm -hmm. we know the value in being able to relate to someone and talk to someone about your experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's like an underworld of classical music, I feel, in Canada, where there are so many young artists that are not on the stage of COC, but have so much to offer artistically and creatively. Uh, and especially in more of the, what's the word I'm looking for here, um, underrepresentative people, you know, in Montreal, uh, one of the teachers that works for the studio, Mike Fan, is always doing kind of LGBTQ spins, like he just did a male version of Carmen, and it was amazing, and just yeah. interesting things happening that maybe people wouldn't feel or know that there wasn't a possibility for them. They just think, okay, I'm going to go to university, then I'm going to try to get on the stage at a big house. But actually, you can be so much more expansive in your creativity and shape your own role. And I think that that is detrimental in the world that we live in today. I mean, I look at what's happening with all of the opera houses canceling their season for another year in the future. And that makes even the artists that are on the big stages putting a question mark at the end of the sentence of, I'm not really sure what my career is going to look like next year. So what does that mean for everyone else? And uh, so what a great opportunity to be like, who do I want to be? How can I make that happen? I'm going to get really inventive. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree completely. And you speak to a truth right now and the world is suffering. And I think that we have seen that, you know, the industry is not always going to be there for the artists. And that's not necessarily anyone's fault. But if that is the case, we need to move forward in a way that I think we're understanding what like, you know, our purpose in this music is, how can we again connect with people beyond just having to, you know, fill a void in an industry. Opera needs to be about, you know, the societies and the communities that it's in. I strongly believe that. And I think that this is a vital time for us to reassess that and to know, and to, and to I think, do what opera has always done. You know, and in Mozart's times, it was about, um, you know, promoting the, the common class. In Verdi's times, it was about promoting revolution. You know, opera has always done that. It's always been had a place in that. And I think that we are in a crucial time right now to understand that so that we, on the other side of this, we understand opera as something that is not just going to be tied to, you know, the bricks and mortar of, 
of uh, any kind of opera house. It is something that's like lasting beyond that. So that if there's another pandemic, uh, hopefully there's number one, but if, you know, if the world comes back to something like this, we are more prepared and we know that there's security on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. You as Andrew the baritone, Andrew the singer, what mm -hmm. made you decide to take kind of a sidestep from I want my bread and butter to be me performing to no, I'm going to put a lot of effort into creating this platform now. Why did you decide to redirect like that? I think my dream has never been in singing specifically. It's always been in making the sector, the world, the opera community better with my voice. And I think that that I never understood solely as being on the stage. It could be also with writing and, you know, I've been doing some of that of late. And it also is using whatever influence I think I have or power I have to, or agency I have to speak out for people or, or to create these kind of opportunities. So I don't see it too much as like a sidestep. I kind of see it as maybe a realignment of, of that momentum in another facet and, and putting that, uh, that, kind of drive that I've always had to to just m make people feel something with with my voice with what I'm able to do in another uh, kind of venture um, I've often though contemplated because now I'm doing a lot of opera administration work and I'm very feeling very comfortable in that kind of category and that's why I'm really happy that along with uh, Opera CA and other individuals, we've, there's really a championing of this portfolio kind of understanding of your career now and that people can do other things and we can feel comfortable with it, you know? And I think that that's something that you and I probably both internalize as being wrong when we were in school. You know, you do opera and that's it. But how many people in reality are sustaining themselves as being opera singers only? The answer is probably 1%. So I don't know how we can look at that statistic and say, okay, fine, that's what I'm going to do, <laughs> you know? Like, we need to Because that. we're all the 1%, Andrew. We're exactly. all going to make it. It's just crazy and not real. And, like, you know, that's, again, it's nobody's fault that that's what we've been taught, but I think that's it needs to be said that it's not the only way for things to happen. Everything that I do in my life informs me more as an artist. I think I become a better artist with the other things that I'm doing actually. But even when I was catering and, and working in restaurants, it was it was informing my understanding, my drive, my my determination, my leadership. You know, these are all things that you can see as transferable skills and and it works both ways too, because on the other side of things, I think the job markets out and sectors outside of music need to understand that opera singers have transferable skills. You can do other things as a singer so that we can go and not just have to be you know, subjected to one stream of, of career if you're not going to be a singer, but that the world opens up a little bit. There's tons of transferable skills in, in every aspect and all of it can inform you, make you a better person. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just cannot agree more with what you just said. I mean, a hard truth, and it, it was said to me, I will say this, was um, I remember the first time I ever did Opera Nuova having like a powwow in the theater class and Kim, the, the um, founder of Opera Nuova, she said to everyone, if there's anything else in your life you could see yourself being happy doing, you should go do it <laughs> because this is a really hard path. And all of us sit there wide. I'm really, yeah, it's a really hard path, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be, exactly. I'm, I'm the exception. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and and like, that was 100% me. Yeah. And I would have, I would have given everything and all of it to be that 1%. And mm. then you really dig into it. And, and even though people tell you it's really hard, you get into it and you're like, 
oh my goodness, the anxiety of not knowing where my next paycheck is coming from. And am I going to be a server until I'm 35? And you know, it's, I think it's the mentality is not yeah. for everyone. And then mm -hmm. you have to be brave enough. And, and this is really important. You have to be brave enough to reinvent yourself as many times as necessary in your life. Yeah. So I, I look at what you've done and you are a singer and you are no less of a singer or as an artist because you created a company. You, mm -hmm. As you said, you are even more informed as a person and confident and, and have so many more skills that you could transfer to your art. And I have many friends that express a, a feeling of guilt that, oh, I got so many scholarships though and people expect me to be yeah. a performer. And, and I say that, you don't owe them anything. You know, you, you took that money or took that scholarship because you earned it and you were dedicated and you have the right to reinvent yourself and be whatever feeds your soul. Mm -hmm. I agree with you completely. And it also just doesn't have to be so absolute. I think that when, you know, we're told to, if like, if you are, you stop singing in any capacity or if you do something else, you're quitting. But, it, you yes. know, that mentality needs to, to be done away with. You yes. can be a balance in life, right? You can do a multitude of things and still be ever, ever so much the, the artist as you were before, you know? And I think that as we need to kind of do away with the notion that, you know, one means the other, or one means like leaving the other thing. They, they can, there's room for a lot of things in life. And even people who are singing, you know, who are making, I don't know, whatever that's, the like success means to people as a career or whatever but the, the, think of your successful artist i'm sure they're not singing every single day of their lives right right like, there's, there's room for other things in life you know right if you're doing well or making a lot of money if that's what you see as doing well uh, as an artist you know you can mm -hmm. do other things too because what and that's something i really need to take back for myself as well because i i found that opera and i was working a good deal um before the pandemic singing wise but I found that opera was singing was just becoming a chore to me. It was no longer something that was joyful because it was always just about work. It's like, okay, fine. I need to attach to the next work thing that I'm going to do, mm -hmm. you know? So take back a little bit of that agency for yourself. Like take back that love for singing, realign your purpose a little bit, you know, especially in this time. I think it's mm -hmm. vital. Yeah. And we could talk about balance forever because that is a balance of having goals, which are beautiful and important but also not being in such a rush to have achieved those goals that you lose sight of who am I besides just a singer. Um, I think uh, many of us, if not all of us are guilty of that, especially during university, uh, just being like every single thing I do throughout my day must relate to me as a singer in some form, or I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then you go insane. <laughs> yep. yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're crazy. That's what we're crazy today, but that's fine. You know, we're processing the crazy now. And I think that's <laughs> the point that we needed to get at. So when you think of the world of opera, where do you hope to see it? Where do you think it's going? What does the field of opera in Canada look like? I hope that, again, it's something that turns into more of a community effort and a collaborative effort. I think that we've been seeing a lot of divisiveness in the opera world, especially in Canada we see kind of think one view, very traditional kind of view of what opera looks like, and then a very um, new aged indie, if you will, view of what opera looks like. And I think that's great. But what I think it has done is created a little bit of a rift in the community. 
you know, we need to return to the understanding that we're all kind of working toward one goal, which is producing the opera. And that, you know, if that involves the voices that are thinking about the new wave of what opera could look like and the voices that have been established in tradition, because it brings then together, I think, the community aspect that is, that is necessary. You have, you know, people who are going to see the operas at the COC all the time. That's great. But you want them to come and see the shows at Tapestry and Against the Grain and, and Fawn and, and Loose Tea. And it's the same thing. You want to see those people who have never seen an opera probably who would go to see those smaller companies first because it's something that they maybe relate to more. It's in English or the subject matter is something a little more current. You want them to then go and say, I can probably go see this at the COC or at Vancouver or wherever. You, you, you need, again, to return to the fact that we're all in this together. Canada is too small for the opera landscape to look like eight different things. Mm -hmm. You know, if, you know, and that, again, is not necessarily attributed to repertoire. It doesn't mean stop doing one type of opera. But it does mean that everybody needs to be, I think, again, working toward a goal together. Uh, further to that, uh, the Canadian opera landscape needs to look more like the societies that it's trying to serve. Art needs to uh, belong to the communities, it needs to belong to the societies that they're in. And if your society looks a certain way, and I mean demographically, I mean, you know, based on race and based on gender and based on sexuality and these things, if that's what your society looks like, you need to make an effort in your community and your company to make, to make opera look like that. So that people can feel like it belongs to them. We see increasingly that people believe that opera is this Eurocentric, elitist thing that doesn't belong to the common person. That's not what it is. It might have been that because of what the industry has done to opera, but again, the art form, as you and I both understand it, is not that. We need to return to an understanding that opera can be for everyone so that outside of this, on the other side of this pandemic, we get more people in the opera houses, in, your opera, in the venues that opera is taking place in that have never seen opera before but are now saying, you know what, maybe that is something for me. We need more stories, that immigrant stories told. We need more LGBTQ2SIA plus love stories. We need more BIPOC representation, and not just on stage, but in, in the entire industry, from the bottom up, from the, the people taking tickets, all the way to the heads of companies. We need to see this the, uh, surge of what the multiculturalism looks like in Canada reflect itself in our opera industry, or else we do not have a chance on the other side of really meaning something. Speaking of the audience that it's serving, I think a huge difference between today and the audience today and the audience back in Mozart's time is basically the level of ADHD we all have, right? Mm. Like we have instant laundry, instant food on Uber Eats, instant text messages all the time. And back in the day, the opera and sitting there for two to four hours. I mean, that, that is their thing for the week, the month, the year, who knows? So with the audiences today, I feel like asking them to sit there for two hours is, is too much. Um, mm. I often hear from people when a recital is 45 minutes, that it was the perfect length. So maybe mm. we start looking at opera, not as an epic work for people that are writing them today, but that every opera is a short story and it's around 45 minutes to an hour. I look at Against the Grain in the opera pubs that they do and people love going to those because it's not three hours. You have your beer in your hand. It's more interactive. You meet the artist. Again, it's more of a sense of community. That's what I would like to see more of in the future of opera. People will always love dressing up and going to the COC and spending the money, but especially in light of a recession and the pandemic, the people that can afford to do that will not yeah. be so commonplace either. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, you're 
you're you're hitting the nail on the head. Definitely, we need to start thinking about the barriers that exist and operate now and tearing some of those down. Especially, you know, I, I love going to um, you speak up against the grain. I love going against the grain shows because you can always go and have a drink and sit down and enjoy some music that I already love, right? And I think that and and you don't have to worry about I think maybe the perception of the pomp and circumstance of opera. You know, for the common person, that's something they're probably not used to. They're not used to that environment. You want people to feel comfortable in their own skin when they go into the opera, first and foremost, before they even come and now sit down and palette your three-hour opera as we're talking about, right? So I think we need to start breaking down those barriers a little bit and making people, people feel comfortable. People feel like they can walk from their society right outside into the opera house and there's not kind of this, this transformation that needs to happen when you walk through the threshold. So shifting to you as the artist, you as the singer, I'm curious, what is the best advice you've ever received for singing? It can be technique-based or mentality-based. Give us some gems of wisdom from your life. The, the, the best piece of advice I've ever received and I think I'll ever will receive is from Wendy Nielsen, who always says that it's, uh, it's a marathon, not a race, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that has always stuck with me. And I didn't think until now really about like the context in which that has stuck with me because, you know, it's not just about your vocal development, which is very true. And my voice, you know, I have a larger voice coming out of school. I was not, I think, ready for, you know, the yaps and performance. And I felt really defeated. I needed that time and studying with more people and doing more for summer programs and stuff like that to actually develop. And I feel good about my singing now. But it's also from a mentality sense and from a perception sense of what opera and what, what it was going to be for me. I think, you know, I really... Uh, again, felt really defeated leaving school. I didn't get into any programs. I got into one school, but I couldn't afford to go. I got, you know, I was in some finals for some auditions, didn't get into anything. I remember crying on my bathroom floor, being like, that's the end of the world, you know. But my uh, my mom actually told me, she's like, well, maybe take the time now to just be a person. I'm like, what do you know, mom? But it was, but it was, <laughs> but it was true, you know, I really needed that. And I think that it was, the most beneficial thing I've ever really returned to is the fact that, you know, I'm still going along on this marathon, you know, and it's not, it hasn't finished yet, you know, and it's allowed me to grow and to understand different things that I'm interested in and take risks that I wouldn't take and, and apply to things I wouldn't apply to because I'm realizing that it's all just a, a part of the journey that I'm on. So I'm really thankful for that advice for more than one reason. And, it's something that I think will always stick with me. Is there a core belief you have about the voice that holds true to you? It's just, there's a power in the voice to lift the human spirit that doesn't exist in anything else, you know? And um, I think whenever I return to my love for opera, it's that, it's, it's that pure, just kind of spiritual kind of experience I can have with it at times. And I think that rings true no matter what. And it returns to all the points I've been talking about regarding, you know, what does this art form really mean? It really means that. It's the voice. You know, it's just, it's just this thing you sit and you are washed with and it makes you weep. It makes you laugh. It makes you feel something that you're not capable of feeling outside of listening to it. And if we hold true to that, I think that, you know, opera is, is here to stay. And we know that it is already, but again, we need to return to understanding that it's about that essence. It's not about anything else. It's not about money. It's not about people in seats. 
No, it's not about who gets paid what or how many gigs I had a year. It's, a, it's about this, this pure element of, of, of human connection that we've always been able to, to have and we've always understood it to be. And it's what got us into it. And it's what's going to be here for us no matter what's happening in the world. So mm. that's it, definitely. I think that anyone who's never been to an opera or has been to them, but they weren't good quality singing, which can happen, they haven't experienced the surreal symbiotic relationship you get when you hear someone singing that has no nothing inhibiting their voice, right? Like it really just sounds like it's coming out like water. And mm -hmm. in your body, it becomes cathartic that you just feel everything open up. And that's what's so beautiful about it. That's why us crazy people, people spend seven to 10 to 15 years trying to crack open our bodies to do these sounds because it's, it's like cocaine. You get mm -hmm. these vibrations and you feel like an eagle. I don't know, like there's <laughs> almost no words for it. And then as the singer or as the person listening, you have this ocean of sound from the orchestra underneath you. And then this voice carrying over top. And it's something that can never be captured fully in a recording. So that, as you were saying about opera needs to be more about the community and our stories, how powerful would it be to have more um, lesbian or gay couples having an opera about their romance and having this intense emotion? I think that yeah. that could be soul crushing. It would be so good. I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah, we need more stories told. We need more communities reflected. Because, you know, the power of, of the storytelling that, that opera, the capability of storytelling that opera has is, you know, it transcends any kind of barrier, any geographical, socioeconomic, race, religion, sexuality. You know, it's important that we show everybody that that could be for them and, and show everybody, like, look at your story up there. And they're like, wow, that's it. You know, that's going to form the connections. That's going to form that human connection that we're looking for. What do you wish you could have had going through your journey as a singer or could have known sooner that you now know now? Uh, I wish I knew. I mean, no, that's so scary. I wish. Say that, it. <laughs> but, but I wish that I did, but I wish, that, but I also don't wish. But I, so it's weird. But I wish that maybe I knew that everything was going to be all right. I think, uh, <laughs> that's a song lyric, Andrew. <laughs> it is kind of, but like, but it's the truth, you know. I, I, I remember putting just putting so much pressure on myself at times, and and not being able to live in the moment, especially during my my institutional development, because I was looking at everybody else, and I didn't sound like anybody else, and I wasn't. I just felt so off, and you know, there were just things that were knocking me down along my undergrad and things that knocked me down in my master's that I allowed to knock my knock me down that now today don't mean anything to me, you know, mm. but I realized also that all those knockdowns, all those, those things were opportunities for me to build myself up in different ways. So I probably wouldn't be here. So it's a weird thing to ask, you know, cause I believe that everything that hap everything happens for a reason and all of those things inform the person that I am today. But I wish I could tell, you know, 17 year old Andrew, just lay off yourself, you know, like it's, it's okay. Things are going to be fine on the other side. You're going to get through life is going to figure itself out. Um, I don't know if that's even anything opera specific or, or singing. It isn't, 
yeah, it doesn't have to be because I hear what you're saying. Like if, if I would, if I talked to old me and my old me actually listened, because who knows she would, I would be like, <laughs> I would say the same thing, but I would also add, be, be curious about how to use your instrument and continue to approach mm. that with the curiosity, but approach your life outside of singing with the same degree of curiosity. What do you really like to do? Who are you really? Because not until you know yourself, can you bring that to any role you play anyways? Absolutely. Yeah. That's big, yeah. Yeah, the curiosity point. I think that I also was very insular in my kind of time, especially during my development. And I wish I gave more. I did give some time to curiosity. And I, in, in reality, I wouldn't do anything differently. I don't think, any, I don't think anyone really believes that in their heart they want to do something differently in their past but um yeah I, I i i i believe in that a lot i definitely think that we you know there's room for curiosity and when we talk when i talk to university students through opera and reach and through other things i always say those kind of things you know just be kind to yourself in this time it's a great time enjoy it enjoy it for what it is you know explore it don't think that it has it, it, it is like adhering to any kind of path or mold or you're defining what that is every day with your actions, you know, and whatever they do, you know, are going to have the, on the other side of things, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. When you go to practice in your own time now, are you careful to take this kind of meditative mentality into the practice session? Definitely. I, I, I feel now not being in an institution and or any in any kind of like system uh, right now a uh, very free in my practice and free in my singing you know and it makes me just feel like i can i want to practice i want to sing i want to enjoy it more it's not even if it's attached to something that's monetary or like that's career based i still feel this kind of freedom with it because i internalize it and, you know i'm in the place i'm in now and tomorrow i might be in a better place or a worse place i don't know but like right now, this is the place that I'm in and this is what I have and this is the voice I have and I'm not going to let any kind of um, kind of demons in the back of my head tell me that like the place that I'm in right now isn't good enough or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely feel that kind of meditative state, mm-hmm. that, one, that like zen of it's okay, you know. Yes. With a large pashmina scarf on and a cup of tea. Absolutely, I own several, yeah. well thanks so much andrew for talking with me about everything it's such a pleasure to catch up with you and if anyone is interested in getting in touch with opera in reach they have an idea that they want to put by you guys your website is yeah operainreach.com or you can reach us at operainreach at gmail.com and um, on the contact us page, you have all our socials, all our information, directors of operation from every province that we represent right now. And it's a good thing that you bring up the, the project idea. We're looking to you know, start understanding how we can fund some individual projects as well and how we can put our support or our resources behind them. Bring us your projects, bring us your interests, your ideas. We're very welcome and open always. Send us an email about anything we don't mind. Um, we're just excited about engaging our community more and more and growing this relationship with the opera community in Canada. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where things go for you guys with the company and what you could do for the future of opera. Thanks so much, Jordan.